Welcome to number 15 of the Built podcast and today we're going to be talking about Bristol as a learning space and thinking about Bristol as a civic university. Um, my name is Ash Tierney, I'm a learning developer with Built and I'm joined by three very interesting academics from across our university who are going to introduce themselves now. Hello, I'm Marianne Ailes, I'm a professor of French and also part of the um, one of the directors of the Centre for Medieval Studies. Yes, hi, uh, my name is Kirk Sides. I'm a lecturer in the English department uh, in world literatures, uh, but I also direct a unit on the Bristol Futures program. And my name's Chris Adams, and I'm a lecturer in the School of Chemistry. And so I thought I'd open up the discussion to this morning by starting with uh, why is it a good idea to take students into the city to learn, and what kind of skills are they engaging with? I enjoyed taking my year two students who do a unit on comic and grotesque and pre-modern cultures and I enjoy taking them down to the cathedral because I think it makes it more real, especially when you're doing something that's in quite a a distant past, to actually realise these are real people we're talking about. And also to slightly shock them. I want them to go into the cathedral and see animals playing musical instruments and strange things on the misery chords and then they start realizing that although people were the same the culture was very different and this mixture of the playful and the serious in a um, sacred space is not something you'd expect in a modern context and I just think it makes it come alive for them and not just something they read about in books opens their eyes to what's around them in Bristol as well I think for me um, there was a a sort of ethical component uh, to 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 asking students to go into the city. I think above and beyond the sort of skills that are enhanced by walking around in a city and learning to sort of read an urban space as a text, uh, as it were. I think beyond that, there were some 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 pedagogical ethics uh, to doing so. And I thought that asking students to go into the city represented a certain kind of investment um, that might operate above and beyond the kind of uh, economics of higher education, that, that students were actually investing in the space in which they studied in a kind of broader uh, and sort of larger way. And I thought that that was important, especially in a city like Bristol, um, that can operate in ways that tend to sort of segregate socially, economically, infrastructurally. Uh, uh, Bristol can, can be somewhat of a divided city, and so I was really sort of invested in asking students to walk across, as it were, a lot of those uh, divides uh, in their in, in their course activities. So I run a, a teaching lab in chemistry and I have a, a hundred first year students at a time all clad in white coats, you know, mixing things together and boiling them and that kind of stereotypical image of chemistry. Um, but actually that's not what the vast majority of real chemistry looks like. It doesn't take part place in laboratories and it's a real experiment. Most of the time chemists don't know what the answer is going to be. Whereas in, in my teaching lab you know, the aim is to get the right answer, as it were. So by sending the students out in, into Bristol, um, I'm taking them out of the laboratory. It might be the only time as undergraduates that they go into chemistry that's not actually in a lab. And they're doing a real experiment. I don't know what the answer that they're going to find out there is, which is in complete contrast to most of what they do here. Cool. So then we're seeing that for some of the activities, the students are leading their own excursions. They've been given a framework and they go out independently. And in your case, you take them out directly. So what is uh, the different experience from students being led by someone through a space or the students discovering 
um, multiple spaces for themselves? How do you think that affects their reading of, of the city? I do take them out because that's the only way we are allowed access to the misery cards in the cathedral. They, they don't want the students lifting them and dropping them. Um, it's got to be me doing that, which is fair enough. They're, they're you know, hundreds of years old and need protecting. But I also encourage them to go out and take photographs on the road. So we have a virtual exhibition on the um, Blackboard site for the unit. And I, I encourage the students to upload photographs they take elsewhere and suggest other places they might find medieval comedy um, as well as a cathedral. So in that way, it's quite similar to what Kirk does with his students. Kirk, do you want to fill us in a bit more? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, and I, I think uh, in similar ways, I don't necessarily see the two as mutually exclusive. That is, a, a, you know, students on their own and a lecture-led ex- excursion in my class. I think that the two are kind of operating at, uh, uh, together in some ways, um, even if the, the lectures are there digitally, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Right? We've, we've pre-recorded a series of, uh, of lectures and placed them online. And so that the students have a sort of point uh, that they can walk towards in the city that they know they're heading towards. Um, and so that gives them some of the kind of, it replicates some of the surety of the, of the classroom. Some of those structures are still in place to kind of, uh, uh, you know, uphold the experience there. Um, but they really are sort of walking around in the city on their own and they're at being asked to observe on their own. And I thought that that was important as well. So that they do have some of the kind of reassurances of a normal classroom space, even though that that's happening in the city. But they, I want them to, 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 to make observations on their own. And I think, I think it's only uh, on their own that they're able to sort of freely observe and freely take the kind of visual field notes that I'm also asking them to do. Uh, I think that a lecturer not leading them in that moment, I think it was really quite important. Okay, so yeah. both of you are asking them to do observations mm-hmm. and make some sorts of recordings. And Chris, you're asking them to record a different type of data set. Yes, yeah, so my students have to... Um, We've, we've got an OS map of Bristol and we divide it into grid squares. I put the students into teams and give each team a grid square. And they have to go to that grid square and make a measurement of the pollution um, in that particular location. And this covers the entire city from Avonmouth to Lee Woods to Fish Ponds out to the um, you know French A, all, all the way out there. Um, and these are students, we do this in the first term that they're at university. One of my motivations for doing this was to try and make the students see that there is life in Bristol beyond Stoke Bishop and, mm-hmm. and Redland. Um, and a surprising number of them find it really challenging to get to fish ponds. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, I just tell them, buy, buy yourselves a group bus ticket and off you go. Um, and it's a bit of an adventure for them, actually. They're just taking them outside their comfort zone very much. Um, one of the things we have to do is, is a risk assessment with the students for sending them out there. And... They treat this as a bit of a joke, you know, what could be possibly risky about going to fish ponds. But actually, um, you know, when you go out there and you start strapping things to lampposts, you know, people get inquisitive. And and some of the people, you know, um, don't like (laughs) people just turning up unannounced. Um, So they have to consider, you know, what what are the hazards associated with even this kind of vague kind of field work? It's not all straightforward. Mm, And... um for Kirk, we worked together to create some risk assessment material and also because they were doing photographs and possibly engaging the public and, and recording those experiences, we also had um, film and fo- photography consent forms. How do you think the students responded to that requirement in your unit? Uh, I think the response was, was similar. Initially, they were um, uh, a, bit, a bit put off by having to do this extra bit of work. Uh, I think 
that was mediated in two ways. One, we asked them to do uh, their own risk assessment so that they could actually be sort of involved in the, I suppose, creative side of putting together what a risk assessment might look like. Um, and then I think after you know the first few rounds of, uh, of them doing this field work, they quickly realized why uh, this these risk assessments were needed. Um, and they quickly took the initiative. Um, so for instance, one group uh, did an interview, which I had no idea that they were working on. Uh, it just showed, showed up in their final video that they had done uh, an interview with one of the sort of directors of uh, the Malcolm X Center in St. Paul's. And they had sort of, they'd done their own uh, release uh, and consent forms and put this together and had these people sign this, all, you know, and they sort of took the initiative to do this by the end of the class. And so they, they sort of really worked towards realizing the, the importance of In a really ambitious this. way. They had the freedom to be as ambitious as they wanted to be. They did, yeah. I, I, that was another um, component to it, was they really had a lot of agency uh, within, within the structures that were set up uh, in the course. And so they... They knew what they needed to do, and a lot of them took the initiative to do that. So. And I think one of the things that links back to what Marion was saying earlier mm. is uh, that we had to do a lot of engaging with the Bristol City Council so that we could get their advice on spaces that we should or shouldn't go to and just make sure that we were communicating well with them. And you mentioned, Marion, about um, the restrictions in the space that you were investigating. So how did you overcome that? Yeah, I mean, I found the cathedral actually really supportive and... and um, accommodating but I do always inform them well ask them if it's all right I make sure that I take the students at a time that's convenient to this to the cathedral and after all there's a service going on we can't access the misery courts but also they generally don't like people handling 16th century um, wood without permission mm -hmm. and it just seems polite to be honest to, to ensure that the cathedral are on board and that they understand what we're doing yeah, they're kind of common sense approaches and really people aren't necessarily going to put up barriers. That was our experience. The council were very comfortable with us doing that and they really appreciated us asking them and informing them in advance. So I think it's just good practice in general. Um, so some of the other questions were thinking about the fact that two of the examples we're talking about happen in first year and one of them happens in second year. It's fairly early on in the student's degree process and their learning. How do you think this affects, this experience affects they had their experience in the rest of the unit and indeed how does it feed into the rest of their degrees do you think? I'd like to think it makes a difference when my students do their year abroad which they do the following year and it's a French unit and I'm taking them to Bristol Cathedral which might not seem very logical and a lot of the things that we look at are actually European wide in terms of visual culture um, and I, when we're in the cathedral I'll point out what is specifically English about the way the misery calls are carved and then I, I hope that will encourage them if they're somewhere in France where there's a medieval church or building to actually have a better understanding of the environment they're in when they're actually on their year abroad and the historic and cultural environment they're in. For me, I think uh, it's really important that this unit instilled a sense of interdisciplinarity. Uh, that was another sort of guiding ethic uh, of the course. And I think that that's important that it comes early uh, in their university career so that there isn't this idea that we sort of are training students to do things in a very sort of canonical and traditional way. And then in the final year, we say, well, and there's also interdisciplinarity you could think about as a kind of token or an add-on in some way. But rather from the very beginning, these interdisciplinary methods and methodologies and, and, and ways of looking uh, at a certain problem are instilled uh, from the very early point in, the, in, in their career. I thought that was important. Yeah, and I would agree with that. Um, you know, 
I think a lot of school children nowadays are very interested in the environment and pollution and things like that. And it's important to tap into that enthusiasm when they come to university rather than let it um, die away. Um, and although what we do is a very chemistry-based approach, it, it absolutely um, interlaces with things like Bristol Futures and Sustainable Futures and with the work that the council do about pollution. You know, Bristol's a very polluted city and there's lots of other stuff going on here. So it's, it's um, you know, seizing the momentum that they maybe already have and trying to, trying to run with it. That kind of leads us directly into our next question about how it transforms and impacts their understanding of big challenges and big issues. Is there anything more that you'd like to add on that? I'd like to think it makes them available, it makes them aware, sorry, of um, the culture of Bristol. Most of them would never have been inside the cathedral and some of them are frankly gobsmacked at what they find when they go in there. Uh, some of them will hardly ever have been inside a church. And it, it's shatter some of their preconceptions and that's got to be a good thing if one of the things we're about is enlarging our students uh, horizons then taking them somewhere that's not familiar with them has got to be good for them i think you know the the, the remit that my course was was under was global citizenship and i think that that sort of uh informed the making of the course by asking students to go out into the city there's some kind of idea about citizenship about belonging in a space in particular ways in critical ways and analytical ways and I think that asking them to go out into the city in, in this way is informing a certain kind of idea of engaged citizenship uh, on some way on some level yeah I, I'm, I, again I think that idea of engaged citizenship is, is very interesting um, you know as part of the preparation for this exercise before they go out I found an article from epigram which is the, the student newspaper which says that um, 196 people die in Bristol every year from the effects of pollution. And yet the students are gobsmacked when they see that number. They have no idea that, that it could possibly be um, contributing to, to that many uh, deaths. But then, you know, we, we, we drill down into the article, actually, and we say, well, this is, you know, this is a piece of student journalism. Do you, do you trust these numbers? Where have, where have they got these numbers from so you can link it to you know the validity of media and reporting and things like that because it turns out actually that the number that's quoted in that article isn't right you know um it was actually 169 and they've transposed to the <laughs> digits and you know it, it gets them thinking about not mm. believing everything that they're told and as scientists you have to be questioning and skeptical so we can see a lot of real meaningful critical thinking and one of the topics that i want to touch on is how can city-based learning kind of connect back to how we assess, how we think about assessing students? Does it change how we might think about assessment? So I have to, I have to confess, that is something I've shied away from. Um, so they go out there and they do the experiment, but the assessment for, for what I do is based very much upon what they do when they come back. They have to write it up and, and produce a paper on it, and that's, and that's what we assess. So it's a kind of fairly traditional assessment. It's just the nature of the experiment they're doing that is different. I think I took a bit of a, a blended approach to this question and, and uh, partly because again students wanted some of the surety of a traditional assessment method and so they do have a, a somewhat traditional reflective essay that they have to write on their experience in the class. Um, but that said then they also have to do a group uh, video project that is uh, a sort of a compilation of the these field note, visual field notes that they've been taking uh, throughout the course and they sort of center it around a particular topic or theme that they've uh, covered in the course and I think that 
that again leads back to this kind of notion of engagement um, that their experience outside of the classroom is just as important uh, as their experience um, in the classroom that the, that the two are actually informing one another right that they can sort of bring these experiences from the city back uh, and be assessed on them that that they're, they're being assessed uh, assessed uh, on their engagement in some ways right their level of engagement with the city and i think that that was important my students have to do a commentary on a piece of visual um, art from the pre-modern period which could be medieval or up to the 16th century and they have the option of doing it on one of their own photographs but it's not compulsory. The virtual exhibition that I have on the Blackboard site is a kind, I, I, I label it as a sort of formative assessment. It is really about encouraging them to be really engaged and active rather than part of the summative assessment that actually counts. Because as, as both my colleagues were saying, the students actually like the reassurance of knowing what's expected in an assessment. We do the assessment slightly differently in that they write their visual commentary using Xerti software, they don't do it as a traditional handwritten essay. So I think that's enough of being different for the students that they do like the reassurance of some things being, being familiar. Um, and I suppose we might finish up with one final question, which might not be a question at all, which is, do you have any questions for each other? Or do you have any prompts or suggestions for colleagues at the university of how they can think about these topics? I think perhaps in somewhere like modern languages, you wouldn't think that you could do a field work in the city. So I think that's quite um, interesting, that if we're thinking in terms of how European culture can be at certain periods, then you don't actually need to be in France to see, let's say, Gothic architecture or Romanesque architecture, or um, in, that case, in, in this particular case, carved wooden misery cords, that there are actually things that you can do locally, which will then perhaps open their eyes to see better what they see when they're actually in the country uh, of the language they're learning. I think it's a really good um, way, actually, of getting new students to kind of get to know each other. First year I did this, um, it coincided with the Beast from the East, and some of them were out in Lee Woods in three foot of snow, retrieving tubes off trees. Um, and they moaned like hell about it, but actually it was, they really bonded over this and, and, you know, it was a really good team-building exercise. Yeah, I, th I think that's a really interesting one because even in second year the students don't necessarily know each other and actually going around an unfamiliar place together is, is good for them. But also I've always had another person with me to help with you know, lifting and putting down the misery cords. There are, after all, two sides of the cathedral, so if you can divide the students into two groups it's much easier. Uh, and where possible, that's been a doctoral student or a postdoc. So the undergraduates are actually meeting someone who's further down the road than they are in terms of their education, but isn't actually a member of staff. Uh, well, a postdoc would be, but that's sort of just somebody a bit more accessible to them, not a middle-aged lecturer. <laughs> yeah, again, I, I, I would return to the question of interdisciplinarity. I think that structuring the courses in these in these ways around these kinds of large topics and I think you know as you said before how do you how do you talk about climate change or how do you talk about the environment how do you talk about issues about migration or citizenship or things like that uh, from a singular perspective I think that looking at them across these kind of broad, broad spectrums of, 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 of disciplinary approaches is really quite important 
And that comes across at the, at the level of the material and the method of looking at it, but also the course itself, the way that it was, uh, you know, these open units that you have students from engineering to English uh, sitting next to it, one another. And in the first year, as they're sort of learning the modes of their own disciplines, they're actually sort of crossing those boundaries in the same moment. So I thought that that worked out really well. Well, thank yeah. you all for your contributions and discussion today. I think that we've really found a whole load of new ways to engage and inspire our students. And I hope that our colleagues who are listening um, enjoy it. And if they want to come back and talk to us, uh, get in touch with Built and we'll help you out. And thank you very much again. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you.